you're listening to The Tech Box. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 5 of The Tech Box. This is going to be a rather unusual episode because uh, yesterday was my birthday and I think the rest of the crew are still sleeping off the party. So this morning um, I'm going to be talking on my own, which uh, is a strange place to be, but uh, we'll see how it goes. And what I want to talk about is why I love Nokia phones, why I still um, have a very soft spot for them, uh, and why I am actually quite excited about the revival of the Nokia brand, and why I think there's probably a little bit more to it than um, at first meets the eye. And and really what made me want to talk about this was a a post on Google Plus by uh, Leon the other day, where he was basically saying, um, you know, were Nokia really that good? Did they did they really sort of push things? And uh, why do we all love them so much? And, and I guess the sad truth is the reason that that people my age, I was fifty seven yesterday, um, love Nokia or have loved Nokia, is fairly simple. It's because uh, we remember what it was like before Nokia. So this is going to be a little bit of a sort of review of Nokia phones that I've had and loved, and where I see Nokia as having done really well. Uh, where they obviously went wrong, which um, doesn't really take an awful lot of, of guesswork, um, and why I think there is good hope for the future. So anyway, here we go. This is my thoughts on Nokia and why I actually am quite excited about the uh, new Nokia phones now being launched and the, the relaunched Nokia brand. Now, to do this actually requires me to, to go back to a, an embarrassingly long time ago, probably before Leon was born, actually, uh, to when I had my first mobile phone, which was in about 1988, uh, and it was a Panasonic phone. Uh, it was, um, well, it was a mobile phone, it can't be denied. It, it, it sort of came into several pieces and plugged into the car, and so its primary purpose was as a car phone. Um, but you could take the important bits out and plug them into a battery case um, and, and carry it around. Now... That sounds not too dissimilar from today, until I say to you that the battery case was actually a lead-acid battery, and you could hear it sloshing around if you gave it a good shake. And it had about 20 minutes talk time before it went flat. Um, and it came in a, a shoulder bag the size of a, of a decent handbag, with a, a rubber duck aerial that was probably oh, five inches long. There was, there's no way that you could have secretively walked down the street, not least of all because to make a call you had to unplug the handset, which looked like a a sort of fixed line handset and actually attached to the, the main body of the phone with a, a long cable. Um, but that was my first phone. And uh, at the time, I was very happy with it. I think I was one of the few people that, that I, the place I worked at the time, actually had a mobile. Um, and about three or four years later, I got my first handheld phone, which was a, an NEC. And, and this is back in the days of, of analog phones. And in sort of the early 90s, they started... Um, replacing the analog phone systems which you could listen to on a scanner uh, so you could hear people's calls um, with digital phones gsm phones and even then i still didn't have a nokia in fact i'm not even sure that i'd heard of nokia's then the phone uh, that i remember getting then was an ericsson i think it was a, G, a gh 98 or something like that which was the the first um, gsm phone i had and that was back in the days of tariffs like Metro Digital, which basically meant that you got a cheap price if you were making a call in the cities and a big price if you were making a call in the, in the countryside. And initially, GSM coverage was very poor. And the thing that, that also strikes me looking back is you would, in those days, pay a tariff. Uh, I mean, I, I used to pay Vodafone £25 a month, and that included no calls at all. And, and then things changed uh, in 1994 when 
in, in London at least, uh, one-to-one was launched. Um, but for the rest of this, one-to-one took a sort of very London-centric approach to start with. And, and the first um, DCS network that launched in, in the West Midlands was Orange. And in fact, I, I researched Orange quite, uh, was quite interested in it. And, and I saw that um, they, they launched, in fact, on the 29th of April 1994. Um, and so I can actually tell you the date that I got my first Nokia Orange. It was the the 30th of April 1994, I, I, I sadly failed to get to the shop in, in time on, on launch day, but I did manage to get my very first um, uh, Nokia on, on the next day, the, the, the second day, and um, it was a thing of beauty. It was it was the, the Nokia Orange, which was a, an 1800 megahertz version of the Nokia 2110. Uh, it had a pull-up aerial, um, but on the whole, it was a, a it was an, it was a nice shape and weight. The battery lasted a good while. And at the time, the big plus was that um, Orange, yeah, they had a £25 tariff, but that tariff included uh, 60 minutes a month of calls. There were, at that time, no text messages. They came a, a year or two later. And I used the Nokia Orange as a business tool for uh, quite a while, in, uh, until, in fact, 1997, when uh, Nokia launched a quite extraordinary device that, um, as somebody who has always liked gadgets, although obviously not phones, uh, just had to have, and that was the Nokia 9000 communicator, which was a, a beast of a phone. It had a, a sort of clamshell design and a little aerial that folded up, uh, and it ran it ran a, a GeoS operating system. Um, but it meant you could do things like send faxes and receive faxes and phone calls and very, very, very rudimentary browsing of the web. I think from recollection, I used to have a CompuServe account back in those days. But I absolutely loved that communicator, and and at this point. Uh, this is where I guess I started buying too many phones uh, and too often because um, there were ultimately three lines of phones from Nokia that I got interested in. One was the communicators, which started in, in 1996. Um, and the other other one was the sort of um, mainline phones, the sort of um, 70s, uh, 2110 and, and so on after that. And then also uh, camera phones, which uh, started to appear in 2002. I can't remember which phone I had uh, when the Nokia 7650 was launched, but um, I saw that this, this phone was coming out with a camera built into the phone um, and was absolutely excited by the whole idea. And I was really lucky on, on the 7650. I managed to get one on launch day. And that was really good timing because the very next day I went on a holiday to Madrid for a week. Um, and it's very funny looking back. I obviously still had a, a, a film mentality because in that, that week I took, I think, 13 or 14 photographs the whole time I was away. Um, and they were pretty poor too. They were 0.3 megapixels. But they, they kind of proved the concept. We had a, um, a phone that um, had the first camera in it. Uh, it was the first um, phone with Series 60, which Nokia had introduced several years. Um, they, they introduced the Symbian system several years before or even several years before, um, with um, the Nokia 9210 communicator. And that really did excite me because um, I'd been a user of the uh, Scion Organizer range, and of course the Symbian software was based on it. I, I never felt that Nokia did a very good job with the Symbian software because on the, on the Scion, of course, you had this uh, touch interface uh, going back before uh, 2000. But when the 9210 came out, it had a glorious color screen, but um, everything was done by... Uh, a pointer that was controlled you know, by keys rather than by touch, which I think was a missed opportunity. Um, but in any event, the, the, the Symbian operating system was one which was quite familiar. If you'd used the Scion system, you, you knew your way around it. It was very easy to 
um, actually uh, get straight into it, pick the phone up and go. So by 2002, I was hooked into the, the trap of having two phones. I had a phone with a camera, um, which went from the 7650 through to the uh, 3650 a little bit later that year, which had a, a rather strange rotary dial uh, shape, which took a, a fair bit of getting used to. Um, and it was one of a number of experimental phones that Nokia produced. I mean, there were things like the famous teardrop phone where the screen was in the middle and the key and the numbers were around the outside of the screen. Um, there were quite a lot of designs that I think actually were probably fairly wacky, but they were all experimenting in, in, a, in a quite glorious way, really. They were trying new designs out to see what would, would, would work for people and what were, were good ideas. But in, in all this, I had one camera phone and one communicator. So in... 2004, I had the 9500 communicator. Uh, in 2070, uh, 2070, 2007, I had the, the the very glorious E90, um, which I still have in a box somewhere. Actually, I, I mean that that was a, a beast of a phone. You could use it as a self-defense weapon or run a tank over it. It would have carried on working, I'm sure. And again, it, it, it had a, a diverged version of of, of Symbian. Um, I think the E90 was the first one that had Series 60 on it. Um, so come 2007, I was I was using the E90. The um, the constant frustration I found with the, the communicator range was uh, that you, you you kind of were expected to have uh, the best sort of device for email or, or web browsing or whatever, but then you couldn't have the best camera or you couldn't have the best sound system if you were Ericsson at the time, um, and so there was always a, a compulsion to have more than one device uh, and all the while I had the communicators they would sort of stay in my briefcase when I got to work um, but the one I'd be carrying around would be a, a camera phone so after the um, 7650 and the 3650 I, I must have had a whole succession of them I, I certainly had the 6630 in uh, 2004 which again was another sort of phone with a, a slightly strange shape to it but it, it fitted quite nicely in the hand it, it was like a sort of um banjo shape i guess um and that had a, an improved camera 1.3 megapixels it was followed by the 6680 which again was a 1.3 megapixel camera but it, it had a, a sort of slider on it that was that was quite good fun um and the next really big milestone in in my sort of use of uh, nokia phones was the was the nokia n8 and it's perhaps worth saying that, that why was I so fixed on these camera phones? Well, the answer is that my wife is a very keen photographer and she's got all sorts of cameras uh, and there just is no way I can compete. And, and I, I don't think competition is necessarily the be-all and end-all, but I, I used to find it really frustrating that I'd, I'd be there with my sort of snap camera and take a picture and, and just it didn't quite hit the mark. And so I thought, well, I'm interested in phones and then I got interested in, in photography and phones. Um, and, and of course, for a long time, if you're interested in photography and phones, Nokia was the only way to go. The only real competition they ever had, in my view, was the uh, Ericsson range of phones. Uh, things like the C905 was uh, an 8 megapixel shooter that took some really quite good photographs. And I was always very sad that when they, they merged with Sony, a company which produces all these fantastic sensors on, on the phones these days, that the, the camera phone uh, knowledge or, or ability to extract a good picture from the sensor seemed to have been lost. Uh, it was never quite the same uh, after that merger. So you kind of had to stick with um, with Nokia and well, that was no great tribulation. I mean, the, the N8 when it came out, I have to say when it first came out, the software on it was, um, with hindsight showing quite where Nokia was already going wrong, uh, it was clearly 
uh, unfinished software. It had lots of bugs in it. Uh, things were frustratingly slow. Things were buried in deep menus. Um, but I think around this time, maybe maybe slightly afterwards, uh, Nokia probably made one of its more fatal mistakes. It, it agreed to license Series 60, um, but it wouldn't allow any of the licensees to have any access to uh, the Nokia store. Now, this I think was a, a fundamental misunderstanding of where the market was going to go, um, because uh, I mean I had a, several other non-Nokia Series 60 phones. The Sony Ericsson Satio is one that comes to mind with the 12 megapixel camera. That was great. Um, there were a couple of Samsungs, the 8510, which is, to my mind, what the N95 ought to have been. Uh, the 8910, which was a, a glass slab a Symbian device, and, and actually one of my favourite phones over the years of, of, of all time. But all of these were restricted and limited because they didn't have any access to the, the, Nokia, uh, the Nokia store, as it then was. Um, and so you couldn't get the right apps for them, and you had to resort to downloading them off uh, you know, various uh, sites and whatever. Um, and if you took the view, as I did, that you weren't going to load software that had been effectively stolen, um, a good number of the apps that you might have liked, you just simply couldn't get. So I think that was a, a major mistake by, by Nokia. But still, the, the N8 was still a phone that I thoroughly enjoyed using, and a really quite good camera. Um, the build quality was interesting. It was a, it was one of the first, if not the first, Nokia that you couldn't easily get the well, you could easily get the battery out of it, but you couldn't just swap it over in the way that you could have done before. You had to undo some little screws at the bottom and, and slide the battery out. But by the time I eventually disposed of the N8, the software had been updated a few times. It was actually quite usable. It, it still remained a very good camera, and I sold it with a certain amount of hmm, should I really be doing this? Um, but the reason that I did it was was quite simply because the um, phenomenal Nokia 808 had arrived by that time. And, and, and this is quite an extraordinary sort of uh, phone, really, because, uh, as everybody knows, it, it came out after the, the death knell of Symbian had been sounded by Steve Elop. Uh I still think that's probably the most inept pronouncement of all time. Uh, if you're going to say we're going to switch our operating system, surely what you do is you wait until you're you're ready to switch the operating system rather than announce it in advance and kill off your product in the meanwhile. Um, and I think that and the failure to um, have a proper app store that was open to everybody were two fundamental uh, clangers dropped in, in, in Nokia's time. But it has to be said, as everybody knows, that the 808 is an astonishing phone. Uh, the camera uh, is still astonishing. I, I must admit, it's probably been a few months now since I've used mine, but every so often I pick it up and take a few pictures and think, yeah, those really are quite a, uh, quite well in advance of, of most of what I can do now. I think it, it's it's quite close to being caught by uh, some of the more recent um, phones. The, the HTC U11, for example, is producing some pretty stunning photographs. Um, and uh, I've no doubt that things like the V30 coming out soon will do as well. But for a good while, I was quite happy with the 808. But but again, because I'd always had two phones, uh, it, the 808 was never my only phone. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what phone I would have had at the same time, but probably something along the lines of the HTC One and uh, M7, which was a, another phone that I really liked. But obviously by then, we're not talking about Nokia. Um, and then Nokia disappeared down its, its sort of usual blind alley. It, it produced a whole range of... Um, phones with Windows Phone on. Um, I, I remember being astonished at, at just what you couldn't do with Windows Phone when it first came out. Um, and it it did get better, and actually in some ways it still is getting better. I've still got a Lumia 950, and there are, you know, there are still improvements going to it. But it, it, 
it really is a classic example of how not to manage a project uh, you know from 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 every possible angle windows phone is just a a case study in stupidity in my opinion so those are sort of the, some of the potted highlights there there are some obvious other highlights along the way the the n93 I, i've never forgotten getting the n93 i mean this had a a three times optical zoom on the top um and and it was a true video camera and the and the the shape and the form factor was was just perfect for taking video and and that i think is where the magic of nokia was you know you you, you never really knew what was going to come out of the labs next there was always some surprise um there were always new innovations and lots and lots of them were were in fact very good now in, in Leon's comments on, on Google Plus, he makes the comment that, you know, was it really just that, that they were churning all of these out and there was no, no real uh, progress? Uh, and, and actually, I think that's not right. There was some huge progress, um, but the problem really all along was in the software. And, and that was demonstrated really by the last throw of the dice by the old Nokia, which uh, was another range of devices that I absolutely loved, which was the uh, internet tablet range. Uh, and I had all of these without really twigging to what was going on until quite late in the game. I started off with a, a little tablet called the 770, um, which, you know, it, it, it ran this uh, operating system later to be called Mamo and, and, and Mego. Um, but it basically was a, a Linux tablet uh, and it only had access to the internet via Wi-Fi. Um, and that was gradually improved, and it, and it, you know, they they had the 800 and the uh, the 810. I've still got an 810 in a box somewhere, although irritatingly, I've lost the stylus. If anybody's got a stylus for an N810, I'd be very happy to have one. Um, and, and that was a really quite good device. I, I remember taking that away on, on several long weekends, and uh, as long as you could get Wi-Fi, you could do all sorts of things with it. But the fundamental problem with that was that um, it 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 required access to um, Wi-Fi before you could do anything. Um, but the the problem really with the whole thing was that it, it, uh, it downloading and installing new applications was about as friendly as it is on on a desktop Linux system. You really had to know a little bit of command line. Uh, you had to know where to get various uh, applications from. You were installing repositories, and you know I guess the average person would worry that a repository was actually an unpleasant form of medicine. Um, it, it just didn't um, ever hit the big time. Um, but I, I had several uh, trips abroad where I remember one that was particularly satisfying in, in Paris where I was able to um, uh, check into a flight uh, from the hotel room and when, when we got to the airport they changed the plane and only the people sitting in the front thir 13 or 14 rows actually got a seat. And, and there were people there who were getting really angry that they'd turn up on time for their flight and I was just sitting there feeling quite smug because I'd checked in hours beforehand and got a seat so we got home on time but that was a really capable device and then in 2009 um, Nokia kind of showed its hand a bit more with the N900 which uh, was a great device I wish I still had an N900 actually um, it had a, a sliding out keyboard uh, it really was quite capable it was a decent phone as well that was the first time in the, the sort of internet tablet range that they they've actually introduced phones um, and I remember having one of those when they were fairly new and, and thinking, yeah, this is the future. This is this is the way Nokia can go. Um, and, and of course, there was another stillborn child of the uh, the ELOP era, which was the, the N9. I absolutely love the N9. It probably is, it may even be my favourite Nokia phone of all. It's, it's just such a, a beautiful interface. Uh, uh, and, and actually, the interesting thing about the, uh, the Mego in interface on the N9 is just how much of it has been 
adopted by other systems. You you you, you can operate a Mego phone entirely with swiping gestures, um, whereas uh, that wasn't true for just about any other phone at the time. And of course, it still isn't completely true now. But but the sort of the swipe up and the swipe down and the swipe left and right that you now see very familiarly in in iOS, they were things that originally were seen in in on the N9. Um, BlackBerry 10 was in many, many ways very similar to Mego. I, I, I wish that that had succeeded, but it never had uh, the volume and it never had the the application support. So it, it, it kind of inevitably was going to go. Um, but you can see the ideas that were in Mego back in 2011 uh, in lots of devices today um, and, and actually in some of the nicer sort of tricks that some of these devices can play. So, yeah. The N9, that was another magical phone. Um, but then, of course, as we all know, the wheels began to fall off. Uh, and I think the identifiable problems, we mentioned some of them already, are um, setting up an idea of an app store. Great idea. Obviously, we're all very familiar with an app store now. Um, some are better than others. Um, but they are actually where the value in any of our smart devices lie these days. I mean, Nokia's, Nokia's idea really was that everything was within the phone. If you look at the... N95, it had a GPS, it had maps, it had music, but it was all pretty much stored on the phone. It talked to the internet when it needed to, where things like the iPhone gradually changed things. And and, and if you think back to the first iPhone, I, I remember my first iPhone. I, I, I saw an iPhone uh, in Norway when I was on holiday, um, and there was an American family there, and they got this iPhone. Uh, and, and I was just entranced that the whole thing, I got, I got chatting to the guy, got it, and, and the whole thing was just on a different premise. The premise was the phone is basically a lump of silicon. We will get information as you need it. And of course, the original iPhone was 2G only, so it was painfully slow. Uh, it didn't have apps and whatever. That was a, a development that came along a little later. But I, I just knew I had to have one. And and in fact, in the end, I I bought one on eBay from from some guy in America, and it actually turned up, which with hindsight was a, was an amazingly stupid thing to do. Um, and uh, it was a complete pain in the neck because the thing had to be jailbroken, and uh, the only way of getting rid of the the only way of getting rid of the SIM lock was all sorts of fiddling around. Then every time an, an operating system update came out, the thing was locked again. Um, and, and and it really was tiresome. But nonetheless, you could tell even then that this was the way of the future. And indeed, the phone that I use most today is still um, an iPhone. And and sometimes I find that very frustrating. Uh, as some of you used to love playing with Symbian, I, I, I sort of feel naturally far more drawn to Android, and, and I can set up an Android phone and enjoy how it's set up. And then, for some reason or another, I end up coming back to iOS. And, and that simply, I think, is because iOS is more restrictive than Android, although if you are willing to invest the time in it, I think it's every bit as capable. It, you know, I mean, it, it, it's very easy to criticise iOS unless you actually use it a lot, uh, and um, you will see people making comments about iOS that basically show that they don't have an awful lot of experience with it. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't, I don't have lots of experience with all sorts of things, but you, you do kind of have to be a bit careful that you before you say something won't do something that it, that it actually won't i think um but ios is just dependable and 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 actually the the apple uh, infrastructure has me sucked in i've got an apple watch i actually find great value out of that apple watch not least of all all of the uh, health tracking aspects of it i, I had a let's say a, a sizable telling off from a cardiologist in in february which 
led me to a fairly miserable diet and lots more exercise after that. Uh, and, and of course, I still am. Um, but, you know, the, the, the health monitoring aspects of the Apple Watch are really very good. Um, every time I think, oh, I'm pretty fed up with iOS, then the, the watch is what keeps me locked in. My uh, AirPods work seamlessly with it, although, to be fair, they work very nearly as well with pretty much every Android phone. But uh, iOS overall, it just... I think, think, to, think the catchphrase, it just works, isn't actually fair. But at the same time... Um, it works most of the time, and it works most of the time more often than anything else does. I think that's probably about where it comes. I mean, it wouldn't make a very good advertising slogan, would it? Works most of the time, and more often than anything else is not not a great great slogan. But nonetheless, it's the position that I kind of find myself in. So, I've had every iPhone uh, bar for some reason. The three GS, I think. I think I just carried on with the three, uh, and no doubt next week. Um, even though at the moment I sit there thinking, oh, I don't know really that there's anything to be had by upgrading to the next one. I'm sure by the end of next week I probably will order one. Anyway, that's enough of Apple. This is about a love of Nokia. So I um, really want to turn for the last little part of this to, to look at um, where does Nokia go from here? And, and what is often not really appreciated is that Nokia is still a very big company. Um, it's one of the main providers of uh, mobile phone network equipment. But it has a lot of other businesses as well. If you if you look at its um, on its web its corporate website on the web, it's actually it's still a conglomerate. It still does a lot of things. It got a very bad bloody nose over the mobile phone business. I think that was down to primarily failures of software. If they if they'd actually succeeded in having a single set of code for Symbian, that would have been a lot better. If they'd got uh, the software that ultimately ended up as Mego out three or four years earlier and made the download process user-friendly, which it, it definitely wasn't, then, yeah, it's just possible they, they might have seen off the um, the iPhone just on uh, the fact that they'd have had a head start. But they, they failed to capitalise on what they have. I think that was a, was a clear loss of leadership there. Um, so that was why they, 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 they basically had to ditch the mobile business because it was that or the company would, would find itself overall in difficulty. Um, and so they took the right decision. I don't think there's much doubt about that. They 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 had to cut their losses. And and despite what was said at the time, I think it's fairly obvious that, that it was only only Steve Ballmer who was actually interested in Windows Mobile. It it, it doesn't look like uh, like Microsoft is remotely interested in mobile at the moment. And and I don't personally believe there's likely to be a Surface Phone around the corner. Uh, I, I think when you when you hear things like um, as Steve Litchie was saying the other day that Wiley Fox have said that they were asked to produce this sort of base model. Windows Phone. That's that's not from from where I sit. The, the behaviour of a of an organisation that that really wants to get back into mobile in any serious sort of way. I think Microsoft is far more interested in being a, a services company now than than a, ever a hardware company. Um, certainly, it's only ever really been half-hearted in mobile, in my view. If you think back to the old versions of of Windows Mobile, it, it was hard work. So anyway, Nokia had to get rid of its mobile division. Um, it made, as everybody knows, massive redundancies. And, and it was actually, in fact, quite a good employer. Uh, it, it set up a big scheme to basically help people set up new uh, new businesses. And and one of those was uh, Yola, which I could talk about at length. I went to the launch of the, the, the Yola phone. Um, I'm still waiting for a 50% refund on the money I spent on the Yola tablet, which curiously appears on the front page of Yola's website, even though they never actually produced it. Um, but... It's obvious there was a lot of talent there and, and a lot of people who knew what to do with mobile phones, even if they didn't really know what to do about 
the software. So, so that kind of brings us to what about the new Nokia? And, and, and I actually think there's a lot of grounds for optimism about the new Nokia because, yeah, okay, it's effectively a, a branded exercise, but then so is BlackBerry. You can even argue to some degree that, that that's true of other phones. I mean, it, it, it would be a bit extreme to say that's true of Apple because they do design the whole thing in, in detail. But there are plenty of phones out there that really are generic devices that, that just have got a brand on them. But I, I think the new Nokia is actually... Um, not in that group uh, it, and, and what evidence can you have for saying that well an awful lot of the people who, who behind HMD uh, are ex-Nokians that's number one number two is from somewhere they have got a, a huge pile of money I mean you imagine the marketing necessary to uh, restart a brand in a market even one with with lots of uh, of happy fans um, it, it's a it's a seriously expensive exercise um, and then again, to launch as many phones as they have in so short a period, there is a lot of money behind HMD. But I think there are also some signs that there's actually quite a lot of um, input from, from the Nokia company, the original Nokia company, in, into HMD. For example, um, we can see in, in the, is it the Nokia 8, the latest one, that you know, there is an uh, input from the Ozo Sound people. Well, Ozo is still part of uh, Nokia, in fact... Um, one of the designers of the Nokia camera, uh, Yuha Alakahu, actually works at Ozo. Um, so we've got input from that. We've got a partnership with Zeiss. Now, uh, other people will know a lot more than I do quite how much of the PureView technology belonged to Zeiss and how much belonged to Nokia. My guess is a sizable part of it did belong to Nokia. Um, but some of it is going to belong to Zeiss, I'm sure. Um, so again, those contacts are being uh, pulled in. Um, so, the other thing which, which comes to mind is the fact that um, HMD has managed to acquire various patents from Microsoft, things like the uh, Lumia camera interface. It, it, it's entirely possible that in another year, 18 months' time, there will be a, a, a Nokia smartphone with really quite good camera technology that's come from a combination of know-how from uh, Ozo and, and Zeiss, uh, a good sound system from uh, Ozo, uh, and a good interface, things like the, the Lumia camera interface, which, which is still better than any, any of the others I've used, and I think I've probably used most of them in my futile attempts to be a good photographer with a, with a phone. Um, you've got to kind of wonder if somewhere in the agreement between Nokia and HMD is the opportunity for Nokia to buy out HMD and, and find itself as, a, as an actual manufacturer of phones again, or, or at least a designer of phones again. Um, so I, I am quite optimistic that there is still a future for the Nokia brand, hasn't yet tempted me to get one the, the 8 is quite close but uh, I think I'll probably have too many other phones on my desk to actually go for it right now um, but one thing I do know is that or at least I hope is that the the, the Nokia brand is probably going to live for some while so there there in a nutshell is, is kind of why I still have a huge softness for Nokia why uh, why I hope they will succeed um, and you know why why I think we may we may yet find Nokia as a, as a brand. Whether it can ever generate the, the um, ability to, to innovate in the way that it did, I think that's quite sceptical. If you look at the amount of, of funding that, that Samsung has got and uh, Apple has got and the difficulty that players like HTC have in, in keeping up with them, they, they keep producing um, phones that are technically excellent devices but the marketing just can't beat um, beat what's out there. But one thing I am hoping for, and, and one thing I'll leave you with, 
is that it won't be terribly long before instead of all of the uh, anodyne ringtones that you uh, hear around the place, it won't be terribly long before you start to hear this one more and more and more. Thanks very much for listening. I think the normal team will be back for the next show. Uh, I hope so. It's actually quite difficult talking for half an hour without too much of a break. Um, I hope you'll uh, you'll accept my wafflings as a substitute for a, uh, a more detailed chat um, and look forward to speaking to you again presently. And here, off the wonderful Nokia Tones app on the Windows phone system, is Nokia Tone 2008, and that will do as over and out. Thanks. <laughs>